This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. They told you that good old blue collar Joe was going to be just a normal, everyday guy. One of the folks. He was going to come back and run this presidency the way that you'd expect a sappy 90s movie about a president to do, right? Just just a guy who rolls up his sleeves, loves baseball, apple pie, and good old-fashioned American hard work. But then you actually see what's happening in the country, and you say, hold on a second. This is not, this is not what we were promised. This is not what we were told. And some of us were predicting this all along, that Joe Biden was, of course, the Trojan horse. He was the guy that the Democrats could convince enough voters in enough states Oh, he's not like the rest of all of those Democrats. He's not a left wing loon. You know, he's just a guy who's been around a long time and he'll make sure that the country is nice and calm and everything goes just fine. Total nonsense. We've already had a Texas judge halt Biden's executive order. Stopping deportations for 100 days. And he cited the law that restrained Trump, right? Administrative Procedures Act. You can't just make this huge shift in federal policy, turning on a dime. Oh, gosh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander or the Biden, as the case may be. Turns out that the hashtag resistance judiciary against Trump set some precedents, some very useful ones that are currently being applied against the Democrat president. So there will be howls of indignation. But this is the system we have. This is what we've got. So Joe Biden coming in and acting like there's no need for Congress or legislation on these issues. That's not going to fly right away. And if it makes its way up to the Supreme Court, we got a pretty good shot, a pretty good shot in making sure that it doesn't go forward beyond that. I I can't give you any guarantees. John Roberts is basically a liberal. Thank you, George W. Bush. Roberts is effectively a liberal on the Supreme Court. He's a chief justice, and he is someone who cannot be trusted on principle, on morality, or on constitutionality. But I do think that Amy Coney Barrett is sound, and I think that Kavanaugh will probably apply the law, even if it upsets the New York Times editorial page. But yeah, we're all seeing who Joe Biden really is. What has been done... In this first week of the Biden presidency, here we are. It it, it has been a week. What has happened? Well, we've seen a whole slew of executive orders, far more than any other presidency at this point. Meant to effectively replace the legislative prerogative of Congress with the unitary executive, right? The one and only he is the guy. Big changes on immigration enforcement. Uh, Changes like the Paris Climate Accord, the executive order on transgender protections, which is allowing now transgender uh, male athletes to compete against women. That's a real big focus for the Democrats. They, They know that's critical all across the American heartland. That really keeps people up late at night. Uh, that there have not been enough transgender males who have been able to compete in women's sports. That's just something that's very important to Democrats. And now we have this 
vendetta against the fossil fuel industry playing out. Uh, federal agencies are going to stop all fossil fuel subsidies, and also they're going to put a halt to drilling on federal land. I want to ask you something. How different would this presidency be if you had had a president, Bernie Sanders? I mean, really think about that. How different would this presidency be so far if you had had a president, God forbid, Ocasio-Cortez? The answer is not very different at all. In fact, I think the executive orders that you've seen so far are largely in line with what you would have expected from an even more radical left president. Uh, You know, you would have expected this from somebody else along the way. And now when you start to dig into not only the orders, but the tone of this administration, I mean, they're pushing forward with this impeachment, knowing that it's not going to actually have the desired effect of banning Trump from future office. It's not going to happen. They already held a vote, a procedural vote. Thank you, Rand Paul, in which 45 senators said this is just unconstitutional. This whole thing is ridiculous. The joke. Forty five. So they're not going to get to the two thirds majority. They if the process is unconstitutional, the 45, you're not getting to a two thirds majority to convict. It's not going to happen. So then what the heck are we doing? The country is still suffering through a pandemic. But, you know, some of this, I believe, is a distraction technique as well. Sure, there's the ideological imperative that the left has to get this stuff done right away, right off the bat, to inundate the system, to flood the zone with all the left-wing goodies they possibly can. I get that. But anybody who's seeing how this Biden administration uh, actually functions with the COVID response, for example, with the vaccination programs, realizes, so we were sold the bill of goods, we being the American people. They don't know what they're doing. They're not better at this. They don't have some secret plan. They're not oh so much smarter than the people who were in these jobs before them. That was just all PR, marketing, lies. Essentially, it just wasn't true. They've had to scramble to make it seem like their plan wasn't going to be just a continuation of the Trump plan that they also told us in a just act of absolute dishonesty and hubris that they had to start from scratch. So they lied about the previous plan. They overpromised on their plan. And now we see we've got we've got clowns in charge now. You've got people, Klain and Saki and Biden and Harris, people don't know anything. They're not great administrators. They don't have some vision for the country. The only thing that they really know they want to get done is whatever the Democrat apparatus tells them to do and whatever the left-wing activist base demands. Everything else can wait. Everything else is secondary. Your business, your livelihood, your safety of you and your family. COVID vaccinations are supposed to be protecting all of us. The Biden administration comes in like a bunch of bumbling buffoons. They're not making the situation better. But even when you listen to the rhetoric, when you hear some of what Joe Biden is saying out there, how different is it really from what you would expect from even the most far left wing members of the United States Congress? Here he is talking about how and that's one of one of the favorite things that Democrats and the left like to do, one of their favorite uh, routines is to is to bash America to show how much they care about America. 
And ultimately, it's about they think they're better than this country and they have to radically transform it to live up to their lofty ideals. But they do like to trash our past. They like to trash what we've been, what got us to this point as the wealthiest, most prosperous nation of the world. And you hear this even in, in Joe Biden's commentary here. Here he is uh, when he's talking about how we don't live up to our principles. Play six. We've never fully lived up to the founding principles of this nation, state the obvious, that all people are created equal and have a right to be treated equally throughout their lives. And it's time to act now, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because if we do, we'll all be better off for it. For too long, we've allowed a narrow, cramped view of the promise of this nation to fester. You know, we've, uh, we've bought the view that America is a zero-sum game in many cases. If you succeed, I fail. If you get ahead, I fall behind. If you get the job, I lose mine. Maybe worst of all, if I hold you down, I lift myself up. This is the warmed over cultural Marxism that we all should have expected from Joe Biden. Now, I know you'd say, oh, that seems harsh. No, it's really not. Listen to what he's saying. America is a zero sum game. If I hold you down, I raise myself up. Is, is that really a, an accurate description of what's going on in this country? The explosion of wealth that has occurred in America over the last hundred years for everyone. I know the left doesn't like to talk about this, but a person today who is living, let's say, just at the poverty line compared to what a person in America who was doing quite well for the time in terms of their actual wealth and access and living standards from 100 years ago, it's not even close. We are much wealthier and more prosperous as a society, but envy is powerful politics and creating this perception that the only thing that's holding some people back is the other people in America who are oppressing them. That's very powerful as well for Democrats. It's, in fact, central to their overall governing philosophy, because now you're going to hear a lot more about equity. You're going to hear a lot more about the same outcomes, not the same opportunities, not the same rules, not the same playing field, the same outcome for individuals as a historical balancing. Hmm. Who's really going to be in charge of that? You're also going to see a return of the more brazen intersectionality discourse, right? Remember, intersectionality is just a fancy way of the left saying that society is all just warring factions, identity groups, tribes of sorts that's what society really is gender political race you name it society is all about these different groups that are that are going after each other trying to oppress each other this is what intersectionality says and the government's role is to decide who's doing too well and who's not and to start to balance that out you want to talk about zero-sum game the Democrat worldview is a zero sum game. The Democrat view of their fellow Americans is exactly that. If some people are doing too well, the answer is not to allow others to do well, too. It's to bring down those who are succeeding. You're going to see a lot of this, although they're not going to bring down the billionaires because they're already well beyond the reach of government. They're already more powerful than the government in many cases. You talk about the Silicon Valley barons and Amazon.com. No, they're going to pull down people who are just beginning are just beginning to enjoy the fruits of their labors. They're going to pull down the successful small businessman who 
maybe has been able to weather the pandemic so far, the lockdowns, everything else, um, but now needs to pay even more in taxes, even higher wages. They're going to pull down people that have been saving and saving and looking to buy that dream house. Sorry, you got to pay more. Pay your fair share. Remember that? Biden is a product of the Obama administration. You have to you have to keep that in mind. This is Obamaism 2.0. The only difference here is that Joe Biden came along promising unity, normalcy and decency. And what we're going to get is leftism, government overreach and freedom under assault. That's the expectation we should all have for the next four years. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What many Americans didn't see or had simply refused to see couldn't be ignored any longer. Those uh, eight minutes and 46 seconds that took George Floyd's life opened the eyes of millions of Americans and millions of people around all over the world. It was the knee on the neck of justice and it wouldn't be forgotten. It stirred the conscious and of tens of millions of Americans. And in my view, it marked a turning point in this country's attitude toward racial justice. A turning point in our attitude toward racial justice, he says, of the George Floyd death in Minnesota. Uh, this could be a speech given by any, any member of the Democrat Party, including the most radical leftists within the Democrat Party. And this is coming from the president of the United States, Let's recall that one thing we were not allowed to see was the previous eight to ten minutes or so of video before the incident. We were showed a tape that was edited. And without knowing the full context, you were unable to come to a clear conclusion about whether there was excessive force used in the incident. When someone is saying, I can't breathe and you have your knee on them it's understandable that you would immediately want to pull your, your knee off that person. But if someone has been saying they can't breathe for 20 minutes, including when you're walking them around and not putting any pressure on them, that would change your calculation. This is just a fact. But we didn't see the full video. We didn't see the full video. And we also haven't been able to get clear answers on the, uh, from the coroner on the toxicology report as to whether he died of a fentanyl overdose. This is also something that is being it is going through the courts right now. That officer has been char- he's been charged with murder. And this is playing out in the courts as I speak to you. But what exactly did we learn about racial justice from that incident? I, I, I'm curious, what does Joe Biden think the answer is? Because there are incidents involving law enforcement with people of all races where there sometimes can be a questionable use of force. What did we learn from it? Well, one thing that happened as a result of it is that there was a police station burned down in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, that there were riots all across the country, that people who had nothing to do with George Floyd, who have never done a racist thing in their lives, had to lose their businesses, had to have their stores ransacked, had to be terrified walking down their own streets because a mob demanding racial justice thought that they had a right to do it. And people suffered and the whole country suffered. And it is shameful. It is shameful that there were not greater consequences in the election for the party that was backing all of this. But the demagoguery and the narratives and the lies were powerful. And it was all about defeating Trump. Nothing else mattered, right? The pandemic was Trump's fault. 
People are saying that the Netherlands is coming apart at the seams right now. They've got huge, violent protests in the streets over lockdowns. But COVID was all Trump's fault. There were there were media groups, media outlets that were running with that for months. People would say President Trump, they would put people on TV. President Trump is personally responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths from COVID. You go back and see it. August, September, October of 2020, they were saying that all the time. It was all Trump's fault. This was a lie. These people are liars. Doesn't matter. See, I sit here and tell you the president was wrong when he went too far with the election results and what he could prove. I'll tell you that. Because I'm honest. Because now we know. Now there was, there is no cracking. There was no, you know, we, we understand. We know now. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't fraud. Don't misunderstand me. It's just we couldn't get to a place where we could prove the degree of fraud or weren't able to present the proof of the fraud in court. But that's how the system works. The Democrats never go back and say, yeah, we were wrong about that one. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have encouraged mobs and rioting all across the country for the whole summer. Yeah, blaming Trump for hundreds of thousands of covid deaths was absurd, disingenuous and really evil. But, you know, we, we, we had to do what we had to do to win. They'll never say that. They just move on to the next one, move on to the next target. It's despicable what's going on. This administration, these aren't these aren't good ethical people. Joe Biden, don't don't be fooled. He's not some good, warm and fuzzy guy you can count on. Look at what he's been doing since he's in office. He doesn't have to sign all these executive orders. He doesn't have to attack the fossil fuel industry like some giant hypocritical fraud. But that's what he's doing. Because this is who Democrats are, whatever it takes for power. They're so certain that they're the ones that need to be in charge that how they get there, it simply doesn't matter. As long as they beat you and me, everything is justified to them. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Look, in the weeks ahead, I'll be uh, reaffirming the federal government's commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion and accessibility, building on the work we started in the Obama-Biden administration. That's why I'm rescinding the previous administration's harmful ban on diversity and sensitivity training and abolish the offensive counterfactual 1776 commission. Unity and healing must begin with understanding and truth, not ignorance and lies. Today, I'm also issuing an executive order that will ultimately end the Justice Department's use of private prisons, private prisons, an industry that houses pretrial detainees and detainees and federal prisoners. The executive order directs the attorney general to decline to renew contracts with privately operated criminal facilities, a step we started to take at the end of the Obama administration. There's so much going on here, and it's. It's even it's hard to keep it straight in my own mind as I talk to you because my head is exploding. Let's start with this. What do you want to bet Joe Biden hasn't even read the 1776 commission report? Well, what would you want to bet at this point? I'm just wondering. I, I would bet a large sum of money that Joe Biden hasn't even hasn't even read the executive summary, hasn't read the first page. Well, they're har- harmful, harmful, and you know, counterfactual, murmur. This is what you get. The Trojan horse presidency. Here it is. There's your horsey, Joe Biden, trotting it out in front of the gate. And the American people, at least, unfortunately, you know, 51 or 52 percent of us or whatever it was, 
said, yeah, bring that horse inside the gates. Didn't work out well for the Trojans, did it? This is what we got now. Oh, yeah, he's he's such a moderate as he's sitting here spewing the usual left wing talking points about diversity and inclusion and equity. What does that mean? Does it mean the racial entitlement state expands? Because he should just be honest about that. Does he mean that now affirmative action, which was just on the precipice of being ruled unconstitutional the next time the Supreme Court looks at it, it's getting there. It already had Sandra Day O'Connor in a, in a decision years ago, right? You know, we got to phase this out in like 15 to 20 years because it's really not constitutional, but we like it for right now. So we'll kind of just go with it. They know it's in trouble, but what do they do? They go in the opposite direction. They're going to use the whole force of the state now, all the different powers that the executive branch holds to push this even further. And this is a violation. They think they're upholding the most basic standards of America and all of this, but they're actually violating things like the Equal Protection Clause, equality under the law, hiring people, advancing people, punishing people, doing any of those things based on skin color or gender identity or preference, giving people benefits or punishments based upon those things is immoral. It's wrong. You know, we're going to have to spend some time here on this show talking about political philosophy. We're going to have to reformulate some of the arguments of the past to fit the present. Because right now we are up against it with this Biden presidency. He is going to push for 80 percent of what a Bernie Sanders presidency would have. On social issues, on cultural issues, and, and even increasingly you'll see on many economic issues, although the difference with Biden and the reason he won, and, and I mean that the actual reason he won uh, is that the big tech corporations and the Fortune 100 companies run by now lib activists who have taken over institutions in many cases, if they didn't found them, uh, that are devoted to social justice. They're all on board for Biden because they're going to stay rich and powerful. Amazon's going to be fine no matter what the tax rate is. Doesn't matter. Doesn't they don't really care. And they've got armies of attorneys to fight anything that comes up anyway. So Amazon is above the government fray. They don't have to worry about that. It's you. It's me. It's the people who are trying to have freedom, autonomy, and build a better life for ourselves, for our children, for future generations. We're the ones that are going to have to carry this yoke put on our shoulders by the Biden administration of excessive government regulation. And and now what you're seeing is the cultural Marxism really coming out. You know, they're they're going to be they're going to be applying critical race theory to public policy on all issues. And look at this. The Biden administration would all is only possible. Joe Biden only won because he could count on minority voters. And that's even during the primary. Right. You go back and look at this. It was Joe. It was it was minority Democrat voters who pushed Joe Biden to the front of the line among other Democrats. And now Joe Biden's uh, giving payback. He's going to be expanding all these directives and orders. And this is it's fundamentally wrong. They can sit around and talk about the history or or how there's been discrimination in the past and all that. And that is that is true. And they can talk about how there's inequality today. And that is true. But it is not the government's job, nor is it possible to create a perfect equality among human beings and attempts to do so only exacerbate inequality and undermine the law in the process and undermine the, the foundational ideals of our law. 
that we're all human beings who are equal in dignity and worth and merit in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of God. That doesn't mean that we all end up with the same stuff. That doesn't mean that we all get to have the same jobs or or achieve the same level. And that's the most obvious statement in the world. But Democrats use it. They exacerbate it. They 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 twist the knife a little bit more. Oh, you're being held down by other people. I'm I'm just going to say this. You know, you have you have these concepts that are making their way through the culture all over the place. You know, even with things like the, the body positivity movement, the body positivity movement. No, they, they'll tell people who are and I'm not talking about, look, I mean, you know, I, I, I got a few extra LBs on me. I mean, you know, nobody's perfect. Right. That's that's just being a person who loves himself and understands, you, you know, you're not. But I'm talking about when it gets to be a real health issue. And, you know, I have my insecurities. I know a lot of people listening, I'm sure, you know, men and women, you know, guys never talk about their physical insecurities. But, you know, everybody's got their their sore points or things they wish would were a little bit different about them, you know, a little taller, a little a little stronger, a little skinnier, whatever it may be. But the body positivity movement is, is just a, a symptom of this broader mindset. It tells you even if you are dangerously overweight for your health, the problem is not that you have a health problem. It's that society doesn't celebrate that. And you see this and, and th- that same mentality exists. All th- you're going to see this all throughout the Biden administration with everything. Why are people poor? Why are some areas suffering from high crime? Yeah, there are systemic failures that we could talk about, but let's actually talk about them. Let's actually look at what's why aren't public schools working? Why do some neighborhoods have higher crime to just say, well, there are some areas that have more problems and there are other places that don't. So let's just engage in a whole bunch of government tinkering without actually addressing what's going on, what's happening. It's not going to make anything better. Right. You can put people on the cover of magazines who are dangerously. I want to be clear. This is not an aesthetic thing. This is a health thing. Dangerously overweight and suggest that somehow the problem is that society isn't celebrating this. You can tell people that, but we all know it's not true. But what it does is it tells some people it's not your fault. Don't take personal agency. Don't be in charge of your own destiny. It's other. Remember, it's not even sympathy. Sympathy is fine. Sympathy for all kinds. Sympathy for people that are that are struggling with addiction, that are in high crime neighborhoods, that have come from broken families. Sympathy is a basic human necessity. You must be loving and supportive and kind to your fellow human beings or else what are you even doing here? But I'm talking about individual agency and responsibility. I'm talking about how we help empower people in our own communities and all across the country to live better, healthier, happier lives. And a first step in that is to convince everybody that it it is in your control and there are not external forces that are all the cause of your frustrations and drawbacks and issues on an individual or community level. It is, in fact, in your hands to make positive change in your own life. I know this sounds a little bit like I'm doing a a version of a, of a self-help radio show or something, you know, pay for everything in cash. Don't ever use credit cards. You know, I, I could do that for you too. You know, don't run up debt, pay off debt. You know, like I could do one of those shows. I trust me. I, I get all that stuff, but this is more important for us overall. I mean, I, I think it's necessary to understand that, that the way the Democrats, the, the way the left approaches everything is from a, a flawed understanding of, of human basics and essentials of 
the way that individuals need to be making their own decisions and feeling agency and feeling responsibility for them and be honest with yourself. One of the most important things, if, if I could go back in time and, and change one part of my mindset in my 20s and, and, in, and into my early 30s even, I would say, it would be hold yourself accountable and self-correct. Now, that doesn't mean beat yourself up. It doesn't mean, you know, be overly harsh. It means what is true about what's going on. Am I a good, you know, son, brother, Am I a good employee? Am I a good, in my case, you know, boyfriend? Am I a good friend to people that should be able to count on me? And really think about these things. You know, am I as healthy as I should be? Am I, am I as productive as I should be? And this, you're getting now to the center, to the essence of what it is to have a conservative mindset in America today, because ultimately it is on each of us as individuals. The collective, which is what Biden and the left are offering up now, is we will be in charge and we will treat you as a member of a group. And then it will all be everything that we're doing is based upon what group you fall into. And in the aggregate, some of you will be better off. Others of you won't. But we decide what's fair and what's not. How far is that really from the mentality of the Politburo in the Soviet Union? Now, I'm not saying Biden has Soviet level powers and we're not all going to gulags. I'm not crazy. But if you're looking at the underlying mentality, we talk about things like uh, cultural Marxism. You talk about collectivism. They're looking at people as members of groups. They're not treating them as individuals. There are consequences that come with that. There's an undermining of the rule of law. Their belief, of, uh, their belief in fairness is that there are people who are so above the rest of us in their conception of what is necessary for society to be fair that they should just have the right to make those decisions and balance it out as they see fit. Do you trust any human being with that kind of power? The Biden administration is going to be pushing this. This will be central because uh, this has been a, a major project of the cultural and political left in America for the last 60 years. To create a country where we are no longer individuals, we are part of a collective. Where socialism is no longer a dirty word and where lectures about diversity and inclusion and all these very amorphous and constantly shifting concepts are out there and we're never really able to pin down what are you what 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 does this mean and how does this apply and what are the underlying principles it's just diversity and, and inclusion uh, lots of flowery language about this and then it's well, we're going to only give money from the federal government to certain groups. We're going to prioritize certain minority groups for the vaccine. Remember that discussion in the New York Times? Democrats were trying that for a little bit, and then it faded away. That was a little too egregious. But Biden said in a recent speech they're going to focus their federal relief efforts for COVID on minorities and communities of color. As if this isn't just an America problem where lots of people, including minorities and communities of color, of course, are suffering terribly and they're suffering because morons like Biden told them that the government would make it all better. I think there's a lesson there. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. But, you know, we've all seen, of course, the, 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 the transmission. It just it's just not happening. I mean, in Chicago, the teachers union voted this weekend to continue remote learning. They were about to open. Uh, 
town of Montclair, New Jersey, uh, this story came across. Public schools were scheduled to reopen for hybrid learning. For elementary school kids, it'd be the first day of going to school in person since March of last year, 10 months. Um, but then they scrapped plans at the last minute after the local teachers union uh, refused to return to classrooms. Um, Ron, why do you think that the unions in many cases are overruling what the studies show? I don't think unions are overruling studies. I think what you're seeing is schools that haven't made the investments to keep the students safe. I mean, again, the Wisconsin study were classrooms of 12 on average. So that, that requires a lot more classrooms, a lot more teachers, or you know, other kinds of arrangements to get them small, uh, potting students very carefully. So we need to do the things to open safely. Most of the teachers I talk to, they want to be back in the classroom. That's they true. just want to know that it's safe. And we as a country should make the investments to make it safe. It's safe. It has always been safe. The data has always shown that it is safe. But the teachers unions run the Democrat Party effectively. So Biden's chief of staff won't cross them. It's very clear there was a choice here to side with millions of children across the country who have been denied the right to learn, to grow, to develop, to be with their peers. To escape the psychological prisons they are put in by being denied those normal lives or to side with the teachers unions that at the end of the day want more investments, which is a code word for money from the taxpayer for whatever the heck they want to spend it on. Now they're saying filtration systems for the air or some nonsense, really so that the teachers unions members can zoom from their couch and order Uber Eats while they're, quote, teaching. That's what's really going on here. We all see it. We all know it. This is your new Biden administration. Same as the old Obama administration, isn't it? Very similar approach to everything. And Biden is, as I pointed out, a product of that administration. So why should this be in the least bit surprising? Yeah. Teachers unions get what they want. Kids get left out in the cold or in this case left at home to be miserable and in some cases near suicidal because they've had almost a year now of being stuck with stressed out parents who don't who aren't able to you know make this better for them there's no social interaction for these kids are at a critical stage of development and it's being stripped from them by lazy cowardly self-indulgent adults who make bad policy decisions and then double down on it afterwards. That's what you're seeing here. The schools never should have closed. The fact that we're still even having a conversation about this and that the Biden White House is backing this up just shows you how corrupt, disingenuous and grotesque the Democrat Party is. When they say it's about the children, what they mean is it's about the, the adults who pretend it's about the children and they just hope they can fool enough Americans so there are no political consequences for this. The schools should be open. They should have been opened all along. We all know it. But not the Biden White House, not Chief of Staff Ron Klain. No, it's, it's about investments, you see. More of your money for the teachers' unions. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. If we are about to try to impeach a president, where is the chief justice? If the accused is no longer president, where is the constitutional power to impeach him? Private citizens don't get impeached. Impeachment is for removal from office. 
and the accused here has already left office. Hyperpartisan Democrats are about to drag our great country down into the gutter of rancor and vitriol the likes of which has never been seen in our nation's history. Instead of doing the nation's work with their new majorities in the House, the Senate, and the executive branch, Democrats are wasting the nation's time on a partisan vendetta against a man no longer in office. It's almost as if they have no ability to exist except in opposition to Donald Trump. Without him as their boogeyman, they might have to legislate and to actually convince Americans that their policy prescriptions are the right one. Democrats are about to do something no self-respecting senator has ever stooped to. Democrats are insisting the election is actually not over, and so they insist on regurgitating the bitterness of the election. Rand Paul on fire. Look at the senator from Kentucky lighting it up in Congress, just dropping truth bombs doing what he's got to do. What the heck is this all about? You know, the Democrats did this before. Remember with Nancy Pelosi? Almost uh, exactly a year ago. Remember? Right before the pandemic, and Pelosi was playing this game where she was demanding that Mitch McConnell, as Senate Majority Leader at that time, change the rules to fit Pelosi's whim, or else she wouldn't transmit the articles of impeachment. The whole thing was absurd. They knew they weren't going to have the votes. And they knew it wasn't going to be close. So what's what's the point of it? Why do it? And they're doing it again. Trump has broken these people. They are emotionally, they are psychologically unwell because of the Trump presidency. And they haven't all of a sudden been cured because he's no longer president. That much is obvious. This is why they want to continue to drag this out. This is why they will not let this go even though there's nothing, uh, nothing to support this. If, if their real goal is unity, this is laughable. And even if their goal is accountability, how will it force accountability to hold a vote that won't end up doing anything against President Trump? What, what's the, uh, former President Trump, of course. What, what, what's that going to achieve? Nothing. This is spiteful. It's vindictive. It is childish. The Democrats won the presidential election. We can all complain about it. We can hold our own theories and our own beliefs about it. That's fine. But Joe Biden is president. They won. And now we are living in an America where the people in power are somehow, it seems, almost even angrier than, than when they were out of power. They're certainly more willing to take actions like this. They're happy to do it to bring a second impeachment against the president, uh, against former President Trump. Uh, it's, it's an absurdity. But they are also, I believe, trying to show their base exactly what this Biden presidency is going to be all about. Even Lindsey Graham is, is willing to say at this stage. Now, you know, I know Lindsey, he's probably going to appear on Fox News any minute telling us he, he's going to get to the bottom of, of the Russia collusion case or whatever. Sure he is. Uh, but here he is telling everybody that Biden's a a disappointment, and he's right. Play 10. And Joe Biden's been a huge disappointment thus far, not only on policy, but on the idea that I'm going to bring the country together. How easy would it be, Sean, for Joe Biden to say, 
it is bad to impeach a president after they leave office. Uh, enough already with Donald Trump. Let's look forward. So it tells you a lot about Biden's ability and desire to bring us together by the fact that he's sitting on the sidelines. And his only comment has been, I don't think they have the votes. <sighs> they don't have the votes. So what's this all about? What's the point? What's the purpose? Why go through this charade? Well, Democrats have Trump derangement syndrome. But Joe Biden's calls for unity didn't even last a week before it was laughable. I mean, none of us believed it from the outset, but now it's demonstrable. It's, it's clear. It's, it's provable to anybody who's paying attention that Joe Biden has no interest whatsoever in unity. He simply wants to toss some red meat into the cage of rage-filled leftists snarling over the, the prospect of one more chance to go after orange man bad. It's amazing how much somebody who comes along who does not bow to them and is not afraid of them upsets them. That was really Trump's greatest sin of all, wasn't it? That he just said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not scared of you. I'm not, I'm not going to allow the left-wing machine to dictate how I speak, what I say, and what I do. Now, that's not to say that Trump wasn't sometimes badly served by his own advisors and made some decisions that I disagree with, but he didn't bend the knee to the left when they demanded it. And that alone was a, a, a revolutionary act in America today, just to say, no, I, you, can, you can say the worst imaginable things about me. And they did about Donald Trump. They said the worst things possible a traitor, a rapist, a criminal, crazy. They said everything. And he said, I'm going to keep on coming and keep on fighting. And now they, they have to try to destroy the memory of that because do you know what their greatest fear is? And I've been thinking about this for, for some time now. The greatest fear the Democrats have is not that Donald Trump will come back. It's that Trump's central point of defiance against the left-wing machinery will metastasize throughout our society. It will spread all over the place. People will realize, hold on a second, it doesn't have to be this way. I don't have to live in fear of saying one thing that upsets the woke left. I, I don't have to obey their dictates and, and repeat things that they say are true that I know are untrue on fear of losing my livelihood or losing the respect of the public being destroyed. If that idea were to spread further uh, all across America, that would be very, very uh, damaging for the wokeness for the left. And that's their greatest fear is that everybody will see. Hold on a second. If, if Trump can stand up to this, who else can? And not just one person this time around. How many other people all across the country are in a position? Not everyone's in the position. And make no mistake about it. There are some people out there who are listening to this who may be saying, you know, Buck, if, if I if I, you know, poke my head above the above the fence line here, if, if I step out of line, I, I might lose my job. I might my kids might be harassed in school. You know, and to them, I say, don't charge the machine gun nests without a plan. You don't have to doesn't have to be everyone. Look at what Trump was able to do. Now, he's also a famous billionaire. I get it. But one person was able to have a whole lot of impact on this conversation. How many of the rest of us are able to do so? If it spreads 
it becomes a much bigger problem for the left. And that's why they have to impeach and impeach and impeach. That's why they have to keep the pressure on. They want a collapse of that basic Trump ethos of I will fight back. That's their their fondest hope. The left just wants us to go to go to a place where they get to do whatever they want. And we say, wow, that's really unfair. And, you know, they're cheating or they're they're really nasty and they have double standards. They're hypocrites. But but, you know, we, we play nice. If we do that, the country continues its lurch toward the left. We end up in a collectivist state of national disrepair. And we become a, a cautionary tale in, in centuries to come. I know we don't usually talk about timelines in that way, but, you know, we are the fall of Rome, so to speak. We, we are a nation and a people that will not will not continue as we are. We'll become something else, weaker and, and able to be dissolved from within because what holds us together? So we can stand up and fight against this or we can just accept that the left gets to make make its uh, its dictates reality. Um, and that's also why there's so much pressure in in the realm of speech right now. That's why the First Amendment is under such sustained assault. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was on Tucker show last night talking about this play two. It isn't simply government officials and our intel and law enforcement agencies. It's also private businesses. It's these giant tech monopolies. What can the rest of us do to protect ourselves, to keep free speech alive in a moment when it's being crushed all around us? First of all, keep speaking. <laughs> I think yeah. this is the most important thing at a time when there is so much fear and threats uh, and, and the kind of fomenting of fear that we're seeing coming from the likes of John Brennan. Take a stand. We must all take a stand and unite Amen. around these principles in our Constitution and continue to speak freely, whether it be in person, on the street corner, or on these virtual public squares, these town squares that exist online. Uh, you know, big tech is culpable in this, in that they are using their monopolistic power to pick and choose whose voices are heard and whose voices are squelched, whether it's based on who they agree with, disagree with, political affiliation, who you voted for uh, or whatever. I think there are alternative platforms. I've got one on uh, tulsi.locals.com. It's a place where people can come and speak freely and, and have open dialogue and conversation around different issues based on respect and this appreciation for our constitutional rights and freedoms. Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii is a really interesting political figure in this moment in American history, and it's because you know why so many Democrats hate her? Because she doesn't hate Republicans. That's not allowed. She doesn't agree with Republicans, but she doesn't hate them. She does not despise Trump voters. She does not despise people on the right who have a different view of policy and governance. She actually talks to them. She tries to explain her point of view. That's not allowed. That's really anathema to the Democrat Party. You're not supposed to do that. It's crush, destroy, control. That's what you're seeing with the social media companies. We've gone from them pretending they were not censoring to promising that they wouldn't censor so in such a partisan fashion to, yeah, we're a bunch of partisan activists. What are you going to do about it? That's been the transformation of the tech monopoly approach to free speech in America. What are you going to do about it? That's what they're telling you. We don't have a very good answer yet. 
but we should at least understand where we stand. And Tulsi Gabbard and, and Tucker, they're having that conversation, making it clear to everybody that this is only going to get worse until we can finally have enough of an opposition to this that they feel there's a downside. There's enough of an opposition to this where they will feel the pain in a business sense and they'll stop. And that means that we're going to have to do there's a whole movement that has to be built here among conservatives to oppose this stuff. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of effort. But that's the only way. Otherwise, it's surrender. Otherwise, it's Romneyism. I know what side of this I stand on. I know what side of it you stand on.